let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. The message this morning is based on the book of Judges and the book of Ruth. That was our reading from this past week. And so let's pray together right now. Prepare our hearts to receive what the Lord has for us today. Pray for me. I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit of a challenge looking into a video screen. Um, But man, it's deep in my heart what I want to share with you guys this morning. I, I believe God has something for us for this time in this place. So let's pray and get ready and ask him to come be our teacher and our guide. All right? All right. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us and your faithful presence in our lives. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the word made flesh, and we pray that you would help this word to come alive to us today. Jesus, that we would see you in all of your glory, you as our deliverer, our redeemer who loves us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Thank you that you are with us, in us, you're for us. Thank you that you bring comfort, you bring encouragement, You're our teacher and our guide. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be our helper this morning. Help us to hear what you want to say. If you want to challenge us in some way, um, if you want to correct us where we need correcting, Holy Spirit, if you just want to breathe new life and encouragement into us, we need it. And so we invite your presence to come and lead and guide us now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, We're going to do something a little bit different. Typically, I've been taking maybe one particular passage from our Bible reading and unpacking it more in depth. But instead, we're going to take a look at the overall story of the book of Judges and then how Ruth, the book of Ruth, actually fits within this larger period of history that we're looking at. And I believe there's some key truths that are going to kind of emerge from these passages we dig in together. So here we go. First of all, the book of Judges. This book, first and foremost, it's history. It's a history lesson. But it's not just history. It's a warning. And so there's two specific messages from the book of Judges that we need to get. The first is simply this. God's people did not follow the Torah, the books of the law or the books of instruction, right? We spent a lot of time at the beginning of this year in Genesis through Deuteronomy where God is laying out his plan for his people and some key instructions to help them find their foundation as his people. Here's the things that set you apart to follow me, to know me as your God, to walk with me in the midst of a world that has rejected me. And so the book of Judges shows us what happens when his people choose not to follow his instructions. It's it's heartbreaking. It's devastating in a lot of ways. Secondly, the second warning is just as important, and it's the warning about what happens when God's people didn't drive out the inhabitants of the land that they were told to drive out. The book right before this, Joshua, was all about the conquest of this promised land. And God told them, the people that are there, you need to clear them out. You are not to live amongst them or with them because they're morally broken and they will influence you. And so you need to be set apart. And so the book of Judges shows us what happens when his people left some of the inhabitants in the land. 
and they, they, they mingled with them. They married them. They adopted their culture. And so these two warnings to follow God's law and instruction and to drive out the people that were in that land, both of those are ignored in the book of Judges with devastating results. We get a glimpse of, glimpse of this in Judges chapter 2. kind of sets the tone for the whole book. So let's, let's read this together. This is from Judges chapter 2. We're going to read verses 11 and 12, and then also verse 14. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They're worshiping other gods of the land. Verse 12. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Verse 14, And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. These are the devastating results. They, they rejected God. They pursued the, the lifestyle, the people, and the gods. Or in, in our current vernacular, we don't necessarily think of worshiping the gods of America. But it means what do we idealize? What's most important? What do we pursue with our time, our thought, our energy? They pursued the gods of that day and that land and so the true God allowed them to experience the consequences of that. And the very things they followed enslaved them. They followed the people of the land, the people of the day, and then they became enslaved by them. That's one of the things we see repeated over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Now, the good news is, God shows up in the midst of this broken pattern, in the midst of this cycle of rejecting him, God's heart would break for them and he would have mercy. And so the second thing that we see in the book of Judges is that God would send deliverers to rescue them. This is now verses 16 of Judges chapter 2 and also verses 18 and 19. The Lord raised up judges or deliverers who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Verse 18, the Lord raised up judges for them. The Lord was with the judge and saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of the practices or their stubborn ways. So God would raise up a deliverer. A deliverer is someone who sets free, rescues, or saves. And yet what we see throughout this book is the people's hearts stray from the Lord. They go after other gods. They live a broken lifestyle that leads them to be enslaved and oppressed. It brings great tragedy on them. And then they cry out. They cry out for help. They cry out in repentance. And God has mercy and sends a deliverer. And these deliverers, man, they are imperfect. They show up in various ways to help, but they're broken. And, and their deliverance doesn't last. And so it lasts for a little season. And then this cycle, it's not just that they repeat it. It gets progressively worse as time passes 
The scripture says right there, they became more corrupt than their fathers. It's heartbreaking to see. Listen, if you don't get anything else out of this this morning, my hope and prayer is that you and I, we would be one of the rare people who learn from the warnings of history instead of being destined to repeat it. There's a reason that's such a common theme that we've all heard before, that we're doomed to repeat history because we refuse to learn its lessons. Well, that was the people here in Judges. They were an imperfect, broken people who were constantly being delivered by imperfect deliverers, and the cycle continued. So here's some examples. There's there's many great stories here. Um, First of all, we've got Gideon. You know, Gideon's kind of that perfect example we first see him of someone who knows how to social distance. He's hiding out in the cave. He's doing it out of total fear of the Moabites, the enemy that's there. But he's hiding in this cave and he's cowardly. And God calls him out and sees something in him that he doesn't see in himself. And God calls him to courageous faith. And many of us know that story of Gideon where he shows up with 300 men and sees this whole army defeated. It's incredible. But if you read the whole story, even righteous Gideon, he stumbles. He turns into a guy who's vengeful and exacts that vengeance on people. He also takes his past victories and successes that he had from the Lord, and he turns that into something that gets idolized and worshiped even after his death. It's heartbreaking. We move on from there. We see Jephthah. Jephthah shows up to bring victory and rescue, and he he bargains with God when God didn't tell him to bargain with him, and he made a vow to sacrifice his own child if he was successful in victory. And he does it. This should cause us to gasp because one of the very things God warned about of the people in Canaan is that they were people who practiced child sacrifice. It's one of the reasons they were not to follow after them and to eradicate them from the land. And now God's own people are treating him like that. Like God wants us to bargain with him and make promises we can't keep and sacrifice our own children. It's devastating. We see the story of Samson who gets great strength from the Lord and yet he repeats this ongoing pattern of compromise and pursuing sin and it it rips him off. It destroys him. It zaps him of his strength. God uses him in his brokenness, but the story is heartbreaking. It ends in his own death, even as he's trying to set the people free. And then finally, I mean, the story that should just take our breath away is how the last few chapters of Judges end. We've got this devastating scene that happens in the town of Gibeah. Here's a man with um, his concubine and some members of his family, and he's traveling in Israel. And as he's traveling through, he decides not to seek refuge in one of the foreign cities of those they didn't drive out, but to seek refuge in a city of his own people. And if you read this story found in Judges 19 through 21, the people of that city, the men, come to his door at night, banging on the door of the house where he's staying. And it is literally like a word-for-word repeat of what happens when the angelic visitors come and stay at Lot's house in Sodom and Gomorrah. How far God's people have fallen that the very type of sin that was so devastating that the Lord highlighted as wicked and evil and destructive, using people, violently destroying people, God's own people have now fallen to that place. 
It's heartbreaking. This is what the book of Judges is about. It's not God sanctioning these behaviors. It's God saying, people, this is what happens when you reject me, when you reject my way, my heart for you, when you allow the compromises of the land to come creeping in. At the start, it might seem nice, attractive. It might feel like it's not that big of a deal. Everybody around me is doing it. The culture's doing it. But this sin creeps in and it takes hold and we spiral down in destructive ways. And the book of Judges really summarizes it all perfectly. The final verse in the book of Judges is this, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's Judges. It shows us this picture of God's broken people, imperfect, unwilling or unable to follow his law, unwilling or unable to distance themselves from the culture of the day and becoming enslaved, oppressed, and experiencing tragedy as a result. Truly, Judges is crying out for a deliverer. We see these small examples, but none of them really measures up to the ultimate deliverance that's needed. Now, in the midst of this, the very next place we come to in the scripture is the book of Ruth. Now, it's not placed there by accident. In fact, the opening line of the book of Ruth says this, in those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. This, this beautiful little story of Ruth is set right in the midst of this larger narrative of what's happening amongst God's people in the book of Judges. Now, I hope we can take note of this because what we see in the story of Ruth is what we need to see in our own lives. That whatever our cultural moment, whatever our version of in those days is, we individually can choose who we're going to be and who we're going to follow. And we can look for our deliverer. And so in the book of Ruth, we have this, this beautiful picture that's painted. The story opens with three women who are in tragedy. We see Naomi, who's older, grown. She's been married. She had sons. Those sons had gotten married. And now Naomi and her two daughters-in-law have experienced deep tragedy as Naomi's husband and her sons, those daughter-in-law's husbands, have all died. And so they're, they're devastated, they're alone. And here's Naomi who'd been living removed from God's people, removed from her homeland. Because of the famine that was talked about, she'd left. And so now she's, she's realizing, I need to return back home. And so her and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, they, they begin to talk about this plan. And Naomi says, hey, I'm going to head back to Israel. And so I want you to see some things that happen here that differentiate each of these three characters, all right, as they're at this big crossroads deciding what they're going to do. Naomi's decided, I'm going home, but I'm going home broken. She says about herself when she returns to her hometown in Ruth chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, she says to the women of her hometown, do not call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? You know, when we look at Naomi's life, we see a picture of a real person living in a time of tragedy, 
famine, difficulty. Naomi's life had been based around this idea of kind of a works-based mentality, following the law. I'm going to be the person God's asking me to be. I'm going to do the thing God's asked me to do. And in the midst of that mentality, she's broken and bitter as her life has fallen apart. Somehow in her mind, she does this thing that, that we can be so prone to, where if I'm living the right way, I'm doing the things God's asked me to do. I'm following his instruction. Whether this is something I say out loud or I just think subconsciously kind of in the back of my mind or in my heart, I think, hey, if I'm doing those things, my life's going to turn out great. God's going to take care of me. Nothing's going to go wrong. And then we wake up one day and go, what's happening around me? My life's falling apart. My life is in tragedy. I've lost my job. Someone close to me has died. Like I'm broken. Relationships around me are broken. God, what's happening to me? And so all Naomi can say is, okay, God, I'm going to go back to your people, but I'm, I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm wounded and hurt. She's discouraged. And so that's the condition we see Naomi in in the story. Orpah, she's a little bit different. Her background isn't really someone who's followed or pursued the Lord. She's she's been in a household that believes in God as she's married into this Jewish family. But now she's at a crossroads. Difficulty has struck her life. And she has to decide, which way am I going to live? Where am I going to go? And this is the choice that she makes. Ruth chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. It's a a goodbye kiss. It doesn't mean, hey, I love you. Here's a a kiss that I love you. Naomi's deciding to go home. And Orpah's saying, I'm not coming with you. And kisses her goodbye. And then Naomi, speaking about Orpah to Ruth, says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Man, that is an easy choice to make when life gets difficult to say, hey, following God, this hasn't worked out so well. I thought there was this arrangement where life was going to go smooth and easy, and it hasn't. And tragedy has struck me too. And so you know what? I'm going to return to what's familiar. And I'm going to settle for something that a lot of other people settle for too. And we follow the culture. We follow the path that's easy to see, that's all around us trying to make arrangements for my own pleasure the best I can get it, my own ability to try to control my life and my circumstances. Listen, that's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit God. It's a counterfeit way of living, and it won't satisfy. That's the whole story of Judges. Orpah's saying, I'm going with the culture. Guys, listen, the the things we're facing right now in our current moment They just expose something that exists all the time. We don't have control over our circumstances. As people living in an affluent culture, one of the the biggest myths that we can fall for is that somehow I've got my life under control. I've saved up enough money. I have a nice enough house. I have a good enough job. I'm good at my job. I'm doing all the things that will make my life be safe and settled and secure in this little little box I've made here. It's an illusion. We're not in control. Now, that doesn't mean we need to live fearful lives, um, devastated lives. We don't need to become bitter like Naomi either. What we need to do is what Ruth does. We cling to and trust the one who is in control, who is in charge. 
we need to cry out to that deliverer who's the perfect deliverer. And so we come now to Ruth and we see her place in this story. Ruth, quite simply, is faithful to God and faithful to his people. This is from verses uh, 14 and also verses 16 and 17 in Ruth chapter one. But Ruth, in, in, in difference from Orpah, but Ruth clings to Naomi. Verse 16, and Ruth said to her, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth says, I'm in this for life. I'm with God's people and I'm with him. Come hell or high water, come what may, I'm in this to death. And she has just this sense of holding fast to God and to his people. And so as the story unfolds now through Ruth's perspective, here's what we see her do. And I hope you can grab a hold of this. She does some key things along the way here. In Ruth chapter one, kind of what we've been exploring here already, very simply, she just chooses to follow God, to cling to him and to his people. Even when life doesn't make sense, even when everything's falling apart, she doesn't pull back or retreat. She doesn't get bitter and angry. She holds on to him. Chapter two, what we see Ruth do is she moves from following the Lord and sticking with his people. She adopts this posture of doing what she can. She's serving Naomi, her mother-in-law, and she goes out into the fields and works hard and she picks up the scraps. Her life's not on easy street, but she does the next right thing. Guys, that's what's in front of us right now. None of us have any idea what the future holds. There's an optimistic side of me that likes to think, hey, in a couple of weeks, this thing will calm down. It'll blow over. This will be a blip on the radar, something that we remember um, and we move on. There's a good chance that we live out these strange times for months, maybe. I don't, I don't know what to expect. But what I do know is this. I can cling to God. I can cling to his people and I can do the next right thing not only to provide for myself, Ruth's working hard and providing for herself, she's taking care of the person who's been entrusted to her. She can't fix everything that's happening in all of Israel. She can't even fix what's happening in her small little town of Bethlehem. What she can do is look at the area of influence God has given her and serve lovingly and sacrificially to take care of those that have been entrusted to her. And so she loves and serves Naomi. And she, she takes from the scraps what she can get to make do. Now, unbeknownst to her, God's blessing her beyond what she can even imagine. Because there's this figure lurking in the background, Boaz, the Redeemer, who instructs his men to leave a little extra for her. That's one of the cool things I've seen God do in my life. Amy and I have experienced this. Some of our hardest seasons, our, our driest seasons, could be financially, it could be in other ways, We've watched God show up and surprise us with bounty, just not the way we typically think of bounty. But he shows up and surprises us with his goodness and faithfulness. And that's what begins to happen in the story. Continuing on, chapter three really unpacks the beauty of what happens when we trust and obey. 
Ruth does not understand all of the implications of this, this thing Naomi begins to talk to her about, about this idea of a kinsman redeemer. If you want to know more about that, we did a whole series as a church on the book of Ruth back in the fall of 2017 called Hold Fast. You can go on our website and dig that up in the archives. I don't have time to unpack it all here, but Ruth didn't have time to understand it all either. Naomi said, trust me, there's something special happening with this guy, Boaz. And so here's what I want you to do. Will you follow and obey these things? And so Ruth begins to do it. And then Boaz, as she begins to interact with this guy who's going to come along and redeem and rescue her and Naomi, he gives her some instructions to follow. And he says simply, trust me and do this. And Ruth does. It's this beautiful picture in chapter three here where Ruth trusts Naomi, she trusts her redeemer, and she obeys the instructions they give. And then finally, we move into chapter four, and we see this character, Boaz, really come to light as the redeemer. And simply put, he does the job of a redeemer. Now, really quickly, here's what a redeemer does. A redeemer is one who restores your rights and avenges your wrongs restores your rights and avenges the wrongs. That's what a biblical redeemer does. And so Boaz comes along and I want you to notice something. He fulfills his duty as a redeemer. It costs him something to redeem the land that used to belong to Naomi. It costs him something to eventually take Ruth on as his wife, but he does it willingly. He fulfills his duty and because he shows up and brings redemption in the life of Naomi and Ruth, it produces joy, blessing, and new life. Now, I want you to see something here. They're still living in the midst of tragedy. They're still living in the midst of the time of the judges. They are in those days. But in the midst of that time of difficulty, in the midst of their own personal tragedy, the Redeemer shows up and brings unexpected joy and blessing. And that's what our Redeemer does. Two key things I want to encourage you to grab from the book of Ruth. If, if Judges was this warning of following instruction and removing ourselves from the culture of the day, the lessons of the book of Ruth are this. Following the law does not exempt us from trouble. It doesn't. But the second thing we learn is that there is hope when we cling to the Lord and trust him as our redeemer. All right, church family? So here's what I want to do to kind of wrap things up this morning. I want to take maybe five or 10 more minutes, if you can hang with me here. And I want to talk about how Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of these two specific things that we see being cried out for in Judges and Ruth. Judges, the people are crying out for a deliverer. Ruth, it's the story of a redeemer. The one who saves and rescues, that's the deliverer. The one who restores what's been lost and avenges the wrongs, that's the Redeemer. Both of these books point to something that is not ultimately fulfilled in those books. We get a glimpse or a picture of what a Redeemer or a Deliverer are. But ultimately, these point to Jesus. So let's take a look at this. Jesus as our Deliverer, first of all. In the book of Galatians, this gets unpacked in a few ways. Um, in Galatians chapter 1, Verses three through five, Paul writes, and he's kind of just opening up this letter to the people of Galatia. And he says, grace to you and peace to you. Grace and peace. That's what comes from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. That's what Jesus does. His deliverance from our present evil age, the evil things we're experiencing right here, right now. Our deliverer shows up and he brings grace and peace. He gives us something we can't get a hold of on our own. Paul continues on this theme of God as deliverer in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 3 and 4 and then verse 10. Watch what happens here as God delivers us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. How does he deliver us? He comforts us all in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So he delivers us by bringing comfort in the midst of our affliction. And then he fills us with something, this grace that comes from him, this peace that comes into our hearts as he delivers us. It comforts us personally, and then he invites us to comfort others who are afflicted. Man, one of the easy things to do right now, what we're currently going through, is to look at how it's affecting us directly. And it does, and it hurts, and it touches our lives. And as isolated as we might need to be practically, person-to-person, face-to-face touching each other, we can't become self-absorbed. We've got to consider the people around us who are hurting and afflicted and ask ask God, the one who's comforted us, who's delivered us, Lord, how can I be a source of comfort to others who are in need? And verse 10 says this, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, past tense. He's delivered us from sin and death. And he will deliver us. He's currently doing it. He is our deliverer right now in this moment in time. And on him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Here's what I love about this, this verse. It's such a contrast to Judges. In Judges, there's this cycle of repetition that gets worse and worse, where the people don't follow God and they don't trust him and they look to other gods for help and they, they cycle down and it gets worse. But here, Paul writes and he says, God is the opposite of that. His cycle is a cycle of deliverance. We can look at our past history and see ways that he has rescued us from sin and death, from past struggles and failures. And we can be assured that in this present moment, he will be real and strong to deliver us. And oh, by the way, we're going to need him again in the future. There's trouble that's sure to be ahead, but he will deliver us there because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's our God, our deliverer. Now, not only is Jesus a deliverer, he's a redeemer. We're gonna go back to the book of Galatians again. Paul talks about him as our redeemer, specifically in contrast to trying to um, find ourselves rescued by fulfilling the law. Hmm, does that sound familiar? Maybe like Naomi of old? Listen to this with her in mind as an example. Galatians chapter three, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Man, the people and judges didn't even try. Naomi tried, but she stumbled along the way as well because none of us can ultimately fulfill the law. It's a curse trying to live that way. Verse 11. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, here's the key. Christ redeemed us from under the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Our Redeemer has redeemed us at great cost to himself. He's delivered us from the curse of trying to live a life where we get it all right, where we follow all the rules and do all the right things to arrange for our lives to go well. He says, living that way is a curse and, and you can't do it, but I've got you. I'm gonna redeem you with my very life. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, if we rely on our own good works to save us from trouble, that way is cursed like Naomi. But Christ redeems us from the curse of the law so we can receive his spirit. Now, I hope that that triggers a little thought in your head, but whether it does or not, I'm gonna read this to you by way of reminder and encouragement. In this same book of Galatians, Paul tells us what comes when the Holy Spirit enters our lives. Jesus redeems us not just from something broken, but into something new and wonderful. He redeems us into a place where we receive the Spirit of God into our lives. And there's a couple really cool things that happen when the Spirit of God comes into our lives. The first we see in chapter 4 now of Galatians, verses 3 through 5. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Man, we were just like Orpah. We were just like Naomi. We were just like the broken people living in the times of the judges. But, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so we might receive adoption as sons. And then verse six goes on to tell us that it is the spirit of God that cries out in our hearts, Abba, which means daddy. When the spirit of God shows up because of the redemption of Jesus, we get this sense of assurance and peace that we belong to him. We're his sons, we're his daughters. And the fruit of that is something we all need right now. Listen, not only in the midst of this current season we're in, but in all seasons of life, we can fall into this trap of trying to manufacture for ourselves what only Jesus can provide. I can't make myself be at peace right now. I can't turn my brain off from the worrying and the wondering. Even if I'm not afraid of getting the coronavirus, I might be stressed out about how I'm going to provide for my family or how I can possibly protect others around me who would maybe be at serious risk if they got it. And my mind can just spin and spin and spin. I can't manufacture on my own peace, joy, none of that. But the spirit of God, when Jesus redeems our lives and we belong to him, God's presence comes in and delivers us and redeems us and produces fruit that we can't find anywhere else in this world. No one else can offer us what we need right here, right now, except for the Spirit of God. And what does he produce? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is this, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit, remember, it's a byproduct. The fruit of his abiding presence in our lives 
is love, joy, peace, patience. Man, I need some patience while I'm locked in this house right now. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, holding fast, trusting him. Gentleness, self-control. My kids are hoping I have some gentleness and self-control in the coming weeks. Against such, there is no law. In any time, in any season, we need the presence of God in our lives, the presence of his spirit, reminding us who we are and producing in us something we can't manufacture on our own. Abiding peace, ever-present joy in times of trouble, and the grace to be patient and endure. Listen, we've been talking this morning about what it was like in those days of the judges. Well, in these days, my prayer is that we can learn the lessons of Ruth, that we can avoid the temptation to, to be bitter, to be frustrated and angry, or to even just lose sight of following Jesus, but that instead we would cling to him and we would hold fast to his people and that in the midst of trusting him, we would see that our redeemer, he does truly live. Our deliverer, he is present and he is delivering us. Friends, I love you, I'm praying for you, and I'm believing that we can see the presence of our Jesus, the perfect deliverer, the gracious redeemer, who's gonna produce in us all that we need right now and always, amen? All right, I wanna finish by praying a prayer over you guys. And man, I would encourage you to read this later because this is not a prayer I'm inventing. I'm gonna read from Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 14. And there's something very specific that Paul is saying that he's praying for God's people. This letter he's writing to this church, he's saying, I'm praying this over you. And as he wraps up this prayer, he highlights that God is both our deliverer and our redeemer. I want you to listen for what he's praying over them because this is what we need right here, right now, today. So here we go. I'm, I'm agreeing with Paul here and praying for you guys this, that we would not cease praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, we're praying that, that we would be filled with knowledge, filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so that we could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. God, we wanna be pleasing to you. We wanna walk with you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Lord, I pray in this season, we would bear good fruit because we're rooted in your presence. And Lord, we would actually grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are, even in this difficulty. Verse 11, God, I pray that we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, that we would have all endurance and patience with joy. God, would you do that in our hearts? Would we be strengthened, not by our own strength that we can't possibly manufacture, but by your power and your presence in our lives. God, that we would find endurance and patience and joy. And Lord, now we give thanks to you who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. God, we thank you that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, remind us that you're our deliverer. 
redeem us now again today. Lord, if we've been struggling, sinning, frustrated with each other, with you, discouraged, whatever, whatever condition we've been in, God, we cry out to you, our great deliverer, and we trust you to be the redeemer of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I want to encourage you guys. If you're gathered with a few people, take a few minutes, pray with each other, encourage each other. Um, utilize the discussion questions we've created. Take some time and just spend it with the Lord. Wrestle through those things on your own. Discuss them with a group of friends. And man, I really pray that you guys will take the initiative to connect with each other. At the very least, sign up, be in a life group, do these video chats and prayer times that we're going to do together. But break out beyond that. Pick up a phone, use it, call one another, text each other. We love y'all. We're praying for you. Let's hang in there. We'll talk to you again sometime soon, church. Bye.